what I want to talk about today is God's love. Um, theoretically, what I'm supposed to be speaking about is uh, the theology of Jesus, but the Lord just completely wrecked my world this week. Um, and so we're going to talk about that in a very cool, different way. Over the last three months, I have been preparing for a, an awesome teaching that you were going to receive tonight. And... Uh, Realized that seven pages of notes was not going to happen in 30 minutes at all. I know. Matthew would stay. I would probably bore myself. But here's what I did in my preparation. I read through every single red letter in the Bible. And I categorized it. And I prioritized it. And, and took what Jesus taught, what he believed because how, how many of you know it's important to know is when Jesus says something, he doesn't just say it flippantly. It's because he believes it. Right. Now, Jesus doesn't exaggerate or kind of, you know, say things flippantly. He's pretty intentional about what he says. And so the red words are pretty important, right? right. When you read the, the New Testament, your, your theology needs to be shaped by the words that he, he says. And we need to... It's kind of a, a strange statement, but we need to judge Paul's words based on Jesus' words, not the other way around. Because Paul was a follower of Jesus. And a lot of times we look at, at Paul's teaching, we're like, yeah, that's, that's the stuff. Because you, you read it, especially if you're a teacher. How many of you are like, logical teachers like me? Like, and you go, oh, Paul, I love the way you teach because it's so systematic and like boom, boom, boom. And you're like, hmm. His brain works right. I like that. And then you hear Jesus and you go, uh, what are you even talking about? And, and the disciples had the same problem. They're like, this is a hard teaching. You think cannibalism? That's a hard teaching, you know? He wasn't actually promoting cannibalism. Anyways, so I took all of the red words, every single one of them, and it, it took a long time. I mean, three months for me to get this ready. Um, even if I cut out, which I did, I cut out conversations and parables, things that weren't interpreted and weren't really uh, direct statements, I still had seven pages of notes. And when I say notes, I mean just quoting what I wanted to say about each one of them, like just the quotations, not like my great revelation on top of that. <laughs> so that would have taken literally three hours just to read through that. So we're not going to do that. But I'm very thankful for uh, Timothy J. Beals, who wrote the book, The Red Letters. Well, he didn't write it. All he did was compile and kind of categorize. I didn't like his category, so I did my own. That's why it took three months. <laughs> but let me tell you, prioritizing the words of the Messiah, that's not easy. <laughs> you, you don't just go, nah, it's not important, not important, not important. I mean, my heart was like, oh, it's so good. Can, do you think Tracy would kick me out of the ministry if I took four hours on this? <laughs> yes, she would. Uh, so I'm not going to go through that because um, it would take so long. But if you do want those notes, I will give them to you. You can, you can email me at vince.corcoran at hasdallas.com. If somebody wants to put that up there on the screen, Yaku, that would be great. Because my, my last name is not easy to remember. Or spell. Corcoran. C-O-R-C-O-R-A-N. Oh, I thought it was up already. I was like, dang, that is good. So I'm going to give you kind of the Reader's Digest version. And then I'm going to show you uh, kind of what the Lord, through all of that, did with my heart. Because he took me from... I was literally at Starbucks for six hours the other day. Just going... Oh. Whoa. And I'm sure that the people around me are going, 
This guy, this guy, what's he drinking? Because I want, can I get two of what he's got? So here's what I was going to do. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. First, I was going to talk about some funny random things that Jesus says. Because there is some crazy stuff that Jesus says. One that made me think of Tracy was uh, when, when he said in Luke 14.34 that salt is good. <laughs> She loves salt. Crazily so. Then I was going to talk about um, what he says about himself. And he says some incredible things about himself. What you believe about yourself, really, boom. It's even spelled right. Awesome. Um, What you believe about yourself will dictate how you live. Now, if you are the way, the truth, and the life, and what you believe about yourself, and what you tell people about yourself, it's probably important, right? So... That is uh, important because Jesus said in John fourteen six that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one has access to the Father except through him. Which is really cool because if you don't, if you don't know this, this is a crazy awesome fact about the Bible. When you, okay, you've got the temple, right? Or you've got the, um, yeah, it was the temple and the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? There's three veils. You go from not temple, first veil, outer court, second veil, inner court, Third veil, holy of holies, right? Do you know what those, the names of those three are? The way, the truth, and the life. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So when Jesus is talking to a bunch of like Hebrews, he's, he's hanging out with them and he says, uh, by the way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they're like, what? Oh, this is a crazy man. So after I talked about how awesome he was, how, how awesome he says he is, and there's like list, 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 like long list of these things. I was going to tell you what he thought about the Spirit and the Father. One of my favorite things that he says about the Father is, is Matthew 6.18. He says that the Father exists only where you can go. He says that the Father dwells in secret. Now, secret, meaning when you're alone, which is the only place that you, it's a place that only you can go. You can only go to the place called secret, and that's where he hangs out. Isn't that cool? Yeah, like, just think about that. Okay, I want to get alone with God. Well, the only way you're going to get with God is to get alone. Because that's where the, he hides himself in places where you are the only one that can go. It's awesome. He talks a lot about salvation. Actually, he doesn't talk that much about salvation, but two really good ones, uh, like directly. Like, I'm talking about direct statements where you know what Jesus believes, okay? So Luke 14, 26 through 33, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Welcome to the kingdom. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Dang, Jesus, chill out. So then, none of you can be my disciples who, do not, uh, who does not give up all of his own possessions. So, you want to get saved? Just give up everything and hate everybody. <laughs> now, he's, he's obviously not saying hate everybody, but he's saying, in, com- in comparison, your love for me is so great that people are like, do you, do you even care about anything else but him? That's what he's saying. So then he drops this crazy bomb. Some call them glory bombs. The earth restored. Um, in Matthew 5.20, and he says, um, 
and says that unless someone's outward expression of their internal value system, that is their righteousness, unless their outward expression of their internal value system exceeds the most religiously pious people, the, the Pharisees, in the history of mankind, they can't get into heaven. So, you know, we've heard that a hundred thousand times. Probably not, because that's a lot. But unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You're like, oh yeah. But you have to realize these are the most religiously pious people. They know, they're the kind of people, does anyone have a Bible Bible? Not like a digit Bible? Okay, if this was the Torah, the, five, the first five books of the, of the Bible... The Femti Musi Bukin, as the Swedes say. That's what my mom would, or my grandma would say. She's from Sweden. The Femti Musi Bukin. It's Swedish. Get off me. So they knew the scriptures so well that in a codex, or a codices, of uh, the five books of, of the Torah, if you took a nail and put it anywhere here, nailed it through, they could tell you every single word on both sides of the page that it touched. That's how much they, they knew the Bible. And we, go, and we go, oh, they're just religious. No, they were good. Like, they were really good at life. Like, they, they were as close to perfect as you possibly could be, except for the, their internal system was actually righteousness that they had attained, not gotten from the Lord. So something that, that is missing in these teachings that he did on salvation is, and there's a whole lot more, obviously, I'm, again, giving you the Reader's Digest version, is he doesn't really talk about sin all that much. Like direct, like direct sins. He he does talk about. Uh, see if I can. I'm not even going to search for it. My notes are too big. He does say to be super violent towards sin. Like if your eyes causing you to sin, like or your hands cut it off. Like he's get serious about this thing. Um, but in terms of like just talking about sin, he doesn't talk about it that much. Now in most of most of American Christianity, we talk a lot about sin management, don't we? That's not how Jesus did things. He talked about how awesome you were. Told you that you're a new creation. Of course, that was actually Paul. But he talked. He talked about how how you, his love. He talks about the Father's love. Those kinds of things. We'll talk about what he actually talks about a lot. But he gives far more instruction. We're going to see on how to relate to other people than he does about sin management. Crazy. So what does he say about the world? He actually gives kind of cheat codes. He didn't talk about the world that much either, which is. You know, how many of you have heard like sermons about the world is blah 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 blah? And you're like, oh gosh, can we just talk about Jesus? He's way cooler to talk about. So when he does talk about the world, Jesus gives cheat codes basically, if we're talking gamer terms, on how to how to see the world. He says that uh, the world hates the spirit and can't receive the spirit because it doesn't know him. It can't it can't discern him. Uh, hates. Christians and will continue to hate and kill Christians because they hate Jesus. And then he gives this super awesome cheat sheet uh, where he says, okay, the, the world systems are going to collapse, but there's people who are really smart with money in the world, so be friends with them so that when it collapses, you're still good. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> it's crazy. That's in Luke 16, 1 through 13. Say again. Luke 16. Luke 16, 1 through 13. Just text me later, Eric. Um, so when we look at the picture... When we, okay, 
How many of you, okay, you, you're, say you're at a wedding and you're going through somebody's wedding photos on Facebook. What's the first face you're looking for? Yours. Your own. <laughs> Nobody is like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how Matthew looked that day. <laughs> Except for Matthew. Matthew thinks that. <laughs> That's because there is an inherent obsession with our own identity built into humanity. Because, because God made you awesome, and he wants you to actually enjoy your awesomeness, because he does. And so that's why, like, you may have thought that you were narcissistic. Ever been, anybody ever been accused of being narcissistic? Don't raise your hand. Um, I led you to that one. Um, you're not narcissistic. You're actually more awesome than you give yourself credit for. And that's, that's probably your problem is you don't realize how awesome you are or else you wouldn't be boasting about how awesome you are on level two when you're actually a level 20 yeah. wow. out of 10. <laughs> so then I was going to talk about how Jesus talks about the saints. And surprisingly, he doesn't actually talk that much about us. He talks about the Father a lot more. Uh, but Jesus does say something really cool. And... <laughs> Shockingly, Jesus says something cool. I love how I said that. Um, John eight twelve, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right? And you're like, cool, Jesus is the light of the world. Well, in, John, in uh, Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. Because his nature, he took his nature and, and he... We've been talking about the, the nature of, of Christ, that he's both fully God and fully man, right? Over the last month or so. It's been the craziest month. Um, so he, he limits his nature and becomes takes ours so that we can take on his and be just like him. So awesome. Yeah. So we're the light of the world now. City on a hill cannot be hidden. So what he talks about a lot, when I say a lot, I mean a lot, is saintly living. How to relate to other people, how to relate to finances, how to relate to uh, resources, how to relate to blah, 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 blah. But mostly, relationship with people. Did you know, you can look this up. I have, you should do it on your own, but just trust me on this one, and then go look it up. <laughs> Most of what the fear of the Lord is, scripturally, has to do with how you treat God's kids. It is not, we think of the fear of the Lord and we're like, Ah! Like, the, the, here comes God, and he's ticked. <laughs> that is not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is realizing that there is a God in heaven who created man, loves it so much that he was like, I've got, what, what do I have to do? Die? Fine. Whatever. Kill me, because I've got to have them. And when you have somebody that loves that much, and you treat one of those people really poorly, you better be afraid because he's actually all-powerful. And that's a problem for you if you're on the wrong side of that deal. <laughs> Not only is he clear on how to live out our salvation, he is specifically very, he is specifically very specific and concerned about how we relate to other people. This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where your salvation either becomes very obvious or very anemic. Anemic meaning like having no life in it. Because if, if your salvation is just you like loving Jesus and worshiping all the time, and you treat other people like crud, you're not living the gospel. 
If you are not living love, if you're not possessed by love, you've missed the point. He didn't just say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's That's the first commandment. And then if you get to it, Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> I mean, if you have to, I mean, worship me. I'm awesome. And don't be too much of a jerk to your sister. <laughs> he, he is very adamantly pro-people. Good. Surprisingly, he's much more interested in your relationships than even the signs and wonders that you display. Good. Can I say that in church? In the charismatic church? You want to know why? Because he knows that those signs will follow those who believe. You don't have to actually, don't think I'm saying be a lazy Christian, don't pray for people, but those signs and wonders and miracles are going to follow those who believe. You don't have to go after them. We're not supposed to chase after. Luke 17 says that the kingdom of heaven is not observed by outward things. It is within you. It's inside of you. Meaning you leave a wake of kingdom behind you. He wants you to follow his example and instructions in relating to other people. So do like he did. We're going to get into that. John 15, towards the end. Most of what we have seen in Jesus' theology is more about behavior than belief. It is more about ethics than esotericism. It's a good word. So it is, it's not about these ethereal, like, what he believes is not about, like, woohoo, floaty doty. Like, it's, he, like, when he is teaching people, he's going, do this when you relate to this person. And then, and then everybody that, that follows him afterwards, that writes the rest of the New Testament, says basically the same thing. You look at Paul's letters, so practical. Hey, Corinthians, you guys are really powerful. This is awesome. Now, your only problem is you you kind of, you're a little too crazy. So, tone it back a little bit. Have a little structure and love people like crazy while you're doing it. That, like, that's that's the kind of thing that that is taught throughout the New Testament. They got that from Jesus. But what I discovered mostly is that Jesus is about love. Duh. I mean, you, you look at uh, John's uh, first, first letter. First John, that's what we call it, around here. I know you call it where you're from, but we call it First John around here. Um, and, so, and actually says that the definition of God is love. And it is, I mean, you can go, yeah, I believe that. But until you really experience it, it, it's just an idea. Yeah. You start to experience that God is love, your life flips. Yeah. You, you go, you don't mind crying and going, in Starbucks for six hours, <laughs> <laughs> listening to some awesome dubstep. <laughs> That's just my thing, I'm sorry. I, I don't think they're even Christians that I was listening to. <laughs> I think they were, but I mean, the song was called Spirit of Life, so that was good. The the second commandment is so crucial to fulfilling the first commandment. Loving other people is vital to your life in God. John, the the beloved, was actually obsessed. He, He had this obsession with love. 
and he inherited it by the three-year internship that he was in when he was a kid. That was Jesus' ministry, in case you missed that. Got it. Got it, thanks. Check. <laughs> John really, because he was so close to Jesus, he was uh, his cousin, he was one of his, his closest disciples. Uh, I mean, he defined himself as the one that love loved. So that's pretty good. I mean, he had, he had his identity pretty strained out, didn't he? So he's so obsessed with love that when he, when he was an old man living in Ephesus after he had taken care of um, Mary, Jesus' mother, for a while, uh, she died, and then he's still kind of the elder up in Ephesus. He's hanging out, and they, they would always take him. He had this chair, and they would actually like bring him up to the front and put him up there. They said... Uh, Father John, which is what they would call him. Father John, would you, do you have a word? What would you say? Papa Jan. Yeah, Papa Jan. <laughs> would, do you have a word for us today? And he said yes, and they'd bring him up to the front. And he said, little children, love each other. And they, they, they went, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> and they caught him back and finished the service. Next service comes around. Papa Jan, do you, do you have a word for us? Yeah, I do, I do. Little children love each other. Over and over and over, that, that's all I said. Because it was an obsession for him. Because he had been possessed by the Spirit and by the love of that man, Jesus Christ. And it had gotten into him because he is discipled by love itself. Who's not going to get obsessed with love, right? And then you look at First John, he's, it's all about love. He admonishes them to love, love, love. All right. Turn your smartphones to John 13:35. If you have an analog Bible, you can turn there too. John 13:35. This is where Jesus says, "They're going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other." He, he said, you want to you prove to, to the world that you are my disciples? And, we, and to that we say, well, yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of the point, right? Show that we love God. He says, love each other. They're going to, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Like, for real. That's what Jesus says, John 13, 35. He says, if you want to prove that you're my disciples, just love each other. Because that's what's going to happen. The, the world... <laughs> The world's not going to look at an angry bunch of people that don't like hanging out with each other and go, I want that God. <laughs> oh, they're really clicky. Cool. Uh, can I have your clicky God? <laughs> How much is your clicky God? He's free. He's clicky. He's, he just click with me. <laughs> Unity and love, that, that's what, what marks a Christian community. Turn back about 30 pages or so to Matthew 25, verse 40. This is where it gets crazy. This is one of these verses that you need to underline, box, highlight, cut out of your Bible, tattoo on your forehead backwards so that you can see it in the mirror. <laughs> so crucial. Because Jesus says, whatever you do or have done to other people... 
You didn't actually do that to them. You did it to me. And we're going to be so... This is where things are going. We're going to be so possessed by the love of God that we're going to do these things. We're, we're feeding the poor. We're visiting people in, in jail. Uh, what are the other things he lists in 25? Widows, orphans, visiting the sick, high-fiving little kids. Whatever you're, you do, we're going to do all those things. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to get to the throne. And he's going to be like, thanks. Thanks for that, that water you got me. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, you, you thought that was little Jimmy that you gave water to. That was me. Because God hid himself in every single person. I'm not saying every single person that goes to church and says Jesus is Lord. I'm saying God hid himself in every human being. And what you do to the least of these is what you do to the Lord. How you treat your parents, how you treat your kids, how you treat your annoying roommate, how you treat the cashier at Walmart, how you treat your... Was I out of, out of frame? How you treat uh, your waitress... I'll get out of, out of the frame over here now. How... Let me rephrase, let me state that again. How you tip your waitress is how you treat Jesus. That will change you. Because in your relationships, not only, not even, it really does say love there. Somebody etch that in there. Um, now I got distracted by it. Um, really distracted. My brain like went, stop. Not only in your relationships with each other, like how I treat Eric, if I, if I treat Eric not like Jesus, it's not just, that's, that's a big deal to the Lord. How Eric treats his wife is so important because his, his marriage and all of our marriages, future, past, present, whatever, are prophetic pictures of Christ in the church. You literally, when you got married or when you do get married, you are marrying Jesus. He has hidden himself in that person and said, I will be found here now. If you want to you hear from me, come close to your spouse. It, the, he, takes, he takes marriage very seriously. He takes all relationships very seriously. Come on, Vince, don't rebuke the married people. Here's the... Annie, are you ready for a good tweetable moment? Okay. This is, this is what I discovered through, through this whole three months of going through the red letters. Jesus doesn't have theology. Jesus is theology. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus, his life is the understanding of God. Period. Theology means the, the logic of God or the study of God. Jesus is the study of God. You want to you know what Jesus... Jesus said this about himself. He said, uh, was it Philip he was talking to? He says, what, you think you haven't seen the Father? You've seen me. I'm the Father of one. I'm possessed by the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. 
He is theology. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. So the, the final thing I want, to, I want to end with, John 15, 1 through 13, is Jesus' command that he leaves with us. And then I want us to pray. I am the true vine, and my Father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So if you're getting pruned, that's good. It may not feel good, but it is good. He prunes it so that you may bear much fruit. So you're already clean. That's real good. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken over you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot, is unable to, will not, bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I looked at this the, uh, about a month ago. I was reading through this and I went, I wonder, because, you know, there's the whole grafting in thing, like, if I'm a wild, I'm a uh, non-Jew, I'm a wild olive branch, which you just imagine, like, just, ah, like a wild olive branch. It just means not domesticated, but... Um, and you put that and you, you bind it into uh, a normal olive branch, I thought, I wonder when you're grafting things in, because we're grafted into, into the vine, do we produce the kind of fruit of that tree? Or do we produce the kind of fruit that we already were? So I looked it up. Did what every good prophetic teacher does, and I went to Google. <laughs> and the oracle of Google told me that... That a, a branch, okay, you take a, a Fuji branch and you hack it off of the tree. And you go over to a Granny Smith uh, tree and you cut a thing in there and you jack it in there and you tie it up, right? And you let it grow. The, the kind of fruit that that branch is going to produce is Fuji. Because it only takes the life of the, of the tree that it's taking. It takes the energy of that tree and produces the fruit that it was always intended to make. You were made to make a specific kind of fruit in your life and Jesus is, doesn't want you to become like everybody else. Jesus doesn't want another Jesus. That's why he said, it's good for me to get out of here so I can send the Spirit so that you all, if Jesus was here, he would say y'all, he was southern. He was southern. Galilean. So Jesus wanted you to get possessed by the Spirit so that you could have the life of the Father in you to produce the fruit that you were always intended to, to produce. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, meaning without repentance. Meaning that you are going to produce your fruit no matter what. And you want to know how to prove that you're his disciple? Produce much fruit. Let the life flow out of you and just make huge whatever kind of fruit you make. Papaya. Papaya. <laughs> That's why... You ready for this? You ready for this? Huh? 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 That's why there's a tree in heaven that makes 12 kinds of fruit. Because it just needs the life. He doesn't dictate the kind of fruit that you make. He already did that when he created you. You need to live out of who you are. That's not my point. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Not ask according to my will. Ask according to your will, and it will be done to you. That's just crazy. Uh, better be careful of what you're asking. <laughs> Lord, I asked for it. Uh, you don't want that. Don't, don't ask that. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and thereby prove to be my disciples. That's what I was just saying. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. That's a sermon by itself right there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in, my, in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And this is, this is the end. This is the crucial point. This is my commandment. Jesus brings it down to one thing. This is my commandment to you. Love one another. How? Just the way that I loved you. No greater love has any man than that he lays down his life for his friend. The one thing that Jesus is calling us to do as a people, Jesus' theology, what Jesus believes, what Jesus values, is that you would love people like he loves them. 